continuing our voice series that we've been in for a few weeks. Um, has this been helpful for anybody? This conversation about uh, you hearing God's voice in your life and finding your voice in the world. The idea that you have a purpose as a human being. You're here for a reason. Who you are matters and is at the core of what you're here to do and that that's meant to flow. Your doing is meant to flow out of your being, not the other way around. That was our first week. But I know for, for many of us and actually for all of us to some degree throughout our entire lives, we are in constantly in the process of discovering and discerning and uh, and taking hold of, to a greater d- degree, the thing that we're here to do in the world. So I'm excited. I, this has been in my heart for a long time to do a series on this. Uh, I've had a good time doing it, and we're, uh, we've got a few more weeks of this. So um, if you haven't been enjoying it, see you in October. I don't know, but we're, uh, the rest of us are, are getting something out of this. No, this has, been, this has been a really great experience, and, um, and we're just going to keep it rocking today. Cool? Yeah? Great. Um, Let's do this. Let's read a passage of scripture. This is from Nehemiah chapter, what's the reference in the end of that? Here, go, go a few screens. Yeah, 4, 1 through 23, that's it. So if you want to read it in your Bible, you can, but we'll do it from the, uh, from the top right now. Let me tell you this, a little something about Nehemiah. This is not, we're not in a series on Nehemiah. I'm not trying to preach an entire sermon on the story of Nehemiah, but I think this is a good um, foundation for us this morning. So I'll give you a little background. This, the, the book of Nehemiah is the story of the Israelites rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem after the exiles had returned home from exile. It was a huge undertaking, a huge project. It took everything they had for like a burst of time to get over the hump of rebuilding these walls so that they could then begin to rebuild their city, rebuild the temple, rebuild their lives within that space. But the, the, the story of Nehemiah is the story of a man whose heart broke over the state of his home city and who burned with a, a, a really a calling, a sense of calling to do something about it. And, uh, and it's the story of how he led the people, but how the people together accomplished this great thing. And I think there's a, a lot in this particular passage in this story for us today. That's everything you need to know. Good? We all together on what's happening here? All right. When Sanballat, this is another guy, heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? So the, the, the people have begun a work, Nehemiah has begun a work, and then this bully shows up and starts taunting them. This is what's happening. Sanballat the bully. Then there's another guy, Tobiah the Ammonite. He's like the, he's like the, the shorter bully who wants the approval of the bigger bully. You know what I mean? Like, if, like he's like, yeah, yeah. So Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, what are they building? Even a fox climbing up on it would break down their wall of stones, which I read this and I'm like, what a stupid insult. Like, this is like, like oh, good one, Tobiah. Okay. Thank you for, he's just kind of jumping in there and also insulting them. Even a fox would break down their stones. <laughs> Nehemiah, Responds to God, though. He says, hear us, O God, for we are despised. 
Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. Next slide. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out and there's so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and will kill them and put an end to their work. Then the Jews who lived Near them came and told us 10 times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other, and each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked but the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. When I said to the nobles, the officials and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there, our God will fight for us. So we continued the work with half the men holding spears from the first light of dawn till the stars came out. At that time, I also said to the people, have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night so they can serve as guards by night and as workers by day. Neither I nor my brothers nor my men nor the guards with me took off our clothes. Each had his weapon even, while, even when he went for water. It's Nehemiah 4, 1 through 23. All right, there's a lot there, a lot of direction we could go out of this passage, but here's the, the idea I want us to press in on today. We've been talking about vocation, your purpose in the world that you're doing is meant to flow from your identity, that you have a, you have a purpose in the work that you do and the, the good that you're called to bring into the world. And maybe it's connected to your job that you get paid for. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's the family you'll raise. Maybe it's the, the passion project or the side hustle or the thing that never actually pays the bills, but you're giving to the world. It's the gift, the contribution you're making. You're with me, right? Today, this is what we're talking about though. Whenever a person sets out to bring good into the world, to follow their heart, to listen to the voice of God and act on the thing that God is calling them to give, to do, to create, to build, you will face resistance. There will be resistance. And today we're talking about the resistance. Put that word, those words up on the screen, the resistance. I just want this in front of you. Maybe you want to write that down in your notes. Maybe you want to write it down in the margin of that 
your Bible in that story in Nehemiah, the resistance, the resistance, the, resi- the resistance will come in, it can come in many forms. Um, I've got three words for us though that I think uh, speak to some of what is happening in this story and what happens often, my observation in our lives, distraction, intimidation, and accusation. Distraction, intimidation, and accusation. Anybody ever experienced this? Like you're going, I, I've got the thing that I know I wanna do, the thing that's in my heart, the st- I, I even know what steps I need to take and what happens, distraction comes. Do we have any like, any Olympic level procrastinators in the house that you would just wanna raise your hand, right? Raise them up high, some procrastination. And I get it, you know, I am a Myers-Briggs P. I, I understand, and that doesn't mean like, I know the J and P thing, like I know how to show up for work and do my job and all that stuff, but also there's something in me that's like, if I can like go do a workout, take a walk, take a shower, like I might be able to get to the thing that I need to get to at some point faster um, than if I were to just grind it out forever. But, but sometimes that could look like procrastination. Um, you've got distraction, you've got intimidation. This is happening in the story. These bullies are showing up and they're, they're, first of all, they are just distracting them. And there's other moments in this story where they're sending letters and there's, they're just trying to distract Nehemiah from his work at first. They show up, they begin to intimidate. They threaten. And then there's, there's accusation, which maybe we're not seeing that fully in this story yet. But Caroline actually touched on it. This is the thing that, that Many of us, we begin to experience that voice inside us that says, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are to do that? Who do you think you are to be that? Who do you think you are? You think you have the skills? You think you have the talent? You think you have what it takes? What about, what, what if everybody knew about that thing in your life or that thing in your past or that, and all the disqualifiers come up in our hearts? Distraction, intimidation, accusation. And I would say the remedy, I'm just gonna get right to it. The remedy, the antidote to the voice of resistance in our lives is these two words, truth and action. Truth and action. We're going right back to week one of the series. What has God said to you? about you? What has God said? Who has he said you are? What is the word of identity God has spoken over your life? And I'm just going to tell you, if you're, this is all great. This is all fun. This is all theory, right? As we're starting to talk about the purpose you have in the world. But for anyone, you might be in the place where you're going, Rob, I get it. I have stepped out. I'm, I'm out here. This is the week where I'm talking to the people who have stepped out or go ahead and put this one in your heart and refer to it when you step out because you're going to need it because the act of stepping out is an act of vulnerability. The act of stepping out is an act of faith. It's an act of trust. It's an act when all you get out here and you realize, okay, everything I've been running from, everything I've been hiding, everything I've been afraid of, it's all out here in the open. Nehemiah, part of his his strategy was to armor the people 24-7 against the threats of the enemies as they did the work. If you're going to step out, and you're going to do the thing that God has put on your heart to do. If you're going to begin to use the voice that God has given you, 
you're going to have to armor yourself in a new way. You're going to have to armor yourself with truth. Who has God said he is? What has God said he will do? And who has God said you are? It's truth and action. And I love this. I love this. Nehemiah, in this story, as quickly as they could, what did they do? They got back to the work. They got to the work. They got to the work because the resistance, and, and, and let me just say this up front, um, this comes in all forms, and, and sometimes it's, it is a truly spiritual thing. Um, I'm not, I think that we are probably not being mature followers of Jesus if we blame everything on the devil, right? Uh, but sometimes that is a, there's, there is a spiritual, there's an, an, we have an enemy, right, who will come against the work of God coming through his body and through, the, through our lives. Um, sometimes the resistance is, is the voice inside of ourselves, and we're our own worst enemy, and we have to learn to overcome that thing in us. Sometimes it pops up in relational ways, but people are not your enemy. The person, even if there's conflict in your life, that person is not your enemy. But as quickly as they could, they got to work because we can spend a whole lot of time spinning out in our heads, anxious, worried, trying to figure it out. Um, and that would be the resistance winning, right? If I and you um, simply don't ever do the thing that God is calling us to do because we're just reacting to the thing that we're, the opposition we're facing in the moment. They get to work as quickly as they can. This phrase has been in my mind as I thought about this, to get out of your head and into your hands. Putting your hands to the work, whatever that thing is for you. If it's the, the degree that you, you had a moment of boldness and you applied, and then you went into the vulnerability spin out afterward. Anybody ever had that moment and you're going, oh my gosh, who do I think I am? What do I... What do you need to do to get your hands back to the work as quickly as possible? The business you decided you were going to start, you, you, you went ahead and, and, and sat down and had a planning session for a, a, a business plan or a strategy, or you began to a, a apply for the things you needed to apply for. What do you need to do after you've taken a first step to put your hands to the work and keep putting your hands to the work. This is especially huge in any sort of creative endeavor um, because on the back end of any sort of creative endeavor comes certainly a lot of uh, logistical, administrative stuff if you're trying to create something and put it out into the world. And any, anyone who would label themselves a creative in the room, you'd be like, yes, I would say, I'm a, I believe we're all creative. But anyone that's like, yes, I'm a creative, I'm, I'm trying to do creative stuff in the world with my life. Would you raise your hand? Creatives don't ever want to say they're creative because they're like, I want to be authentic in my creativity. Just raise your hand, okay? All right, great. <laughs> I just want them to know I'm creative when they look at me, okay? I get it. Don't not create because you don't know what to do after you created the thing. Just create. Just make it. Make the thing. 
How, what do you need to do to get your hands back to work? Do the work. Out of your head, into your hands. Nehemiah posted guards along the walls. He kept a sword uh, on the people at all times. They kept their clothes on. This is, and now this is a picture of an unsustainable life that we just read. You can take the truth in action slide down. It's unsustainable. They were doing a project, right? There was an initiative taking place. And sometimes you're in a moment of your life where, where we, we value boundaries here at Grace Midtown. We value rhythms. I believe you should have a life worth imitating. And if you don't, you should check yourself. And if, you're, if your life is unsustainable and you're burning out and all that kind of stuff, Seriously, look in the mirror, figure out what's going, what, where, what went wrong, um, and let's pursue together a, a, a life um, that is filled with uh, the sustainable peace and joy of the Holy Spirit as you labor with God in rhythms of grace, right? You with me? Sometimes, though, there are seasons of our life where we, just, it, we have to give everything we have, and if that season lasted any longer than it, longer than it lasted, you probably wouldn't last, Right? This is like what happens when you have a newborn. They don't stay newborns forever, praise God, right? You move on to the next phase, and uh, things get so much easier when they're toddlers. No, I'm just kidding. It's just a different whatever. People keep telling me it gets easier. <laughs> or maybe there's a project you're working on. Maybe there's something at work that you're going after. Maybe there's, there's, it's the initial Um, anyone I know who started a business, like, you know that you had to give everything you had and then some to get it over. And you had to keep telling yourself, it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. We're going to get there. We're going to get over that hump. And, and maybe you get to a point where the thing starts giving back to you after you gave everything you had to it, but it's meant to be a season, right? There's this, this moment, um, where Nehemiah saw it was required to get the project done and, and they continually armored and continually worked to get the walls built. There's the, it's the getting back to the work as quickly as you can. This story continues a couple chapters afterward. Um, and here we are. When word came to Samballot, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up, sorry, Let's go back. Though up to that time, I had not set the doors and the gates. Samballot and Geshem went, sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. Commit this to memory. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. Then the fifth time, Sam Ballot sent his aide to me with the same message, and in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it's true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you're building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you're about to become their king, and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There's a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king, so come, let us meet together. This is a false accusation that they're making about him. I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you're saying is happening. You're just making it up out of your head. <laughs> I mean, I just love the, no, you're, li- you're making that up. Like he's not entertaining them. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. 
I love this. I love the, the response, the first response of Nehemiah. I'm carrying on a great project and I can't come down. Other translations would say, I'm, I'm doing a great work. I'm doing a great work and I can't come down. I'm not gonna come down. He's up on a ladder on a wall. This is the picture. And they're saying, come down and meet with us over here. It's a distraction. Come over here. We need to talk about this really important thing. And he's saying, and he's, he has prioritized the work that he's doing. I, will, I am carrying on a great work. I know I've already, I'm not in the decision phase anymore. Is this something God's calling me to do or not? Like, and this is important because there, there are going to be moments in your life where you're in a discerning process. And we've talked about some of that over the past few weeks. Is this something God's leading me into? And you're in that, is it, is it a yes or is it a no process? There has to be a moment where you shift out of decision mode and you begin to just do the work. And that is once you've made the decision. But for so many of us, we could make the decision. I'm going to, I'm going to begin this project. I'm going to take this job. I'm going to move to the city. I'm going to, and then for months, we still, we, we keep going back and forth. We second guess it, right? Have, have you ever had buyer's remorse? This is the thing where like you buy a car and then you start researching the car. Have you ever done this? I've done this before. Are we, I, or, or any, any item, any, anything that you're like, that was sort of a big expense. And, and it wasn't that you even uh, were hasty in making the decision, but you, you feel it after you made the purchase. You buy a house and you're like, is this a safe neighborhood? Or, and you start like doing all the, you start, what are you going to do? What are you going to do with the information after you discover that you bought a house in the wrong neighborhood or whatever? I don't know. That car, that car is not a good car. Whatever that thing may be. No, you made the decision. Now it's time to enter a new phase, a new type of energy to put out. And Nehemiah understands this. He knows this. And he is on the wall. Y'all, on the wall is not the time to wonder if you should be on a wall. On the ladder is not the time to go, is this the right thing for me to be doing? And I'm not saying that maybe you, you might find yourself in a, on a career path or at a place in life, and you do actually need to, to you recognize, I do need to question, is this, is this it for me? And we'll talk about that in some of the coming weeks, making, making a shift in your life. Some of you maybe that's something God's doing in your life right now. And I'm not saying don't do that because you're already too far down the road or anything like that. I'm saying if you just made the decision, <laughs> then let that yes be a yes. You've decided to undertake that work. You've decided to start that family. You've decided to start that project. You've decided to start that business. You already quit your job. You're on the wall, man. This is the moment to keep putting your hands to the work. I am doing, commit it to memory. I'm doing a great work and I can't come down. When the voice comes into your head, It was a lot better back there. That's always the voice. It was better back in Egypt, right? Three square meals, meals a day. Like you knew it was coming tomorrow. It was always better. It was, it was, it was predictable. A little risky here. I'm doing a great work and I can't come down. When the voice comes and says, who do you think you are? I'm doing a great work and I can't come down. When the voice says, you know what? We should, 
this is great, but what you should really do is uh, reorganize your closet and color code everything because that's been a project that's been nagging at you for a long time. And right now, as you're beginning a whole new endeavor in your life, this is when you should do that. I'm doing great work and I can't come down. Um, there's a great book about this thing that we're talking about called The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. Anybody ever read this? Now, look, this is not a Christian book, so I'm not officially endorsing it. There's stuff that is said in this book. Whatever, it's a great book. Um, just here, you get me? Okay, right. I mean, I've found myself through the years to like re reference movies and stuff like that. And people are like, hey, have you actually watched that movie recently? Because there's a lot of stuff. I'm like, all right, well, I don't know. That one thing I remembered from it was really good. Okay. So anyways, this book, I've reread this book through the years. I think it's, it's great. Stephen Pressfield is an author, a fiction author, and he's written a series of nonfiction books for people doing the work, doing a work, specifically creative work, but then also I think it applies to everybody. Got a couple quotes for you though from The War of Art. Um, and I love this one. Most of us have two lives, the life we live and the unlived life within us. Between the two stands resistance. And he talks about this idea of resistance. He's in his, it's a nonfiction book, but in his sort of fiction writer flourish, he's Personal, he's personifying this idea of the resistance as something that would come and, and show up whenever a person um, seeks to, to do a good work in the world. You have two lives, the life you're living and the unlived life within you. And between the two stands resistance. And the question for all of us is how bad do you want that unlived life? And I would just say, I think that it is a big part of your purpose and why we're here in the world to take that inner person that you know you are and that inner world that you know exists within you and to get that out into the outside. And sometimes that takes an entire lifetime. And sometimes the greatest battle is the voice in your head saying, you're not good enough. It's not worth it. You can't do that. Who do you think you are? That's the resistance that we all face. There's a, uh, we don't have a slide for this one, but there's a, a quote that I'd heard years ago and I thought about this week. Uh, it's hard to lead a cavalry charge if you think you look funny on a horse. Have you ever heard this? It's hard to lead a cavalry charge if you think you look funny on a horse. It's Adlai E. Stevenson II. Hard to lead a cavalry charge if you think you look funny on a horse. It's that self-consciousness that keeps us from action. What will people think? How bad do you want it? Is it worth looking foolish? Is it worth potentially failing? Is it worth tripping, stumbling? Is it worth looking funny on a horse? You probably have never stood, probably, probably haven't had a mirror in front of you big enough to see what you look like on a horse anyway, right? Another quote from the War of Art, the more resistance you experience, the more important your unmanifested art project enterprise is to you and the more gratification you will feel when you finally do it. The more resistance, the more important the thing. The greater the resistance, the more important. I think this is true. I have experienced this in a, in a Christian 
kingdom of God, spiritual way, the greater the work, the greater the resistance. The bigger the project, the bigger the resistance. The more clearly you've heard from God that this is something you need to do, and the more you're like, I don't know, the greater the resistance that comes against it. And the more you have to armor yourself over and over again with the truth of what God has said, and the more you need to quickly get back to the work that he's called you to. The greater, the more important the thing, the greater the resistance. And it comes in so many forms, internal, external, circumstantial. Not trying to, like I said, not trying to say that's the devil behind every tree in every corner. And certainly not trying to demonize people when they show up in your life, bringing unexpected or unnecessary tension or conflict. It's just part of the, the game we're playing here. Resistance shows up in all its forms we have to learn how to dance and we have to learn how to love and we have to learn how to rise above it. Living in the fruit of the spirit, living in the flow of the spirit. And y'all, we're going to talk about the flow next week. This week's the resistance. It's not all friction. There is a flow. I'm going to land this in just a minute, but uh, there's a, another story in the Old Testament in the book of Judges about a guy named Gideon. Anybody know this guy? Um, and he is, every, Judges is this, every generation, the people have rebelled against God. God withholds from them. They get overtaken. Then he raises up a person to lead that nation back. Right. This is like over and over. There's the judge. There's of every generation. That's what the judges were. So get, so the people are being uh, overtaken by the Midianites and an angel shows up to this guy, Gideon in Gideon. It says that he is threshing wheat in a wine press and an angel shows up and he says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And, um, and it says he's threshing wheat in a wine press because he's afraid of the Midianites. Now here's the thing. I've never threshed wheat. I've never pressed wine, but this is, the, this is what's weird about the story is you wouldn't thresh wheat in a wine press. Threshing floors were on hilltops because you needed the wind. And so they would take the wheat and they would throw it up in the air and the, the heavy, the, the light stuff would blow away. The chaff and the kernels they would keep would fall to the ground, but you, it was, you needed a high place to do this. You threshed on a hill and you press wine in a hole. And he is doing in a hole what he should have been doing on a hill because he's afraid. And the thing, the way he's doing it is less effective. There's no wind. Like it's probably taking 10 times the length of time to do just to thresh the wheat that he needed to thresh because he's down in this hole rather than up on a hill because he's afraid. And then the angel shows up and calls him a mighty warrior. And Gideon's whole story is from fear to faith. It's from victim to victory. You should read it. It's great. It's just a couple of chapters. God says, I'm going to use you to overthrow the Midianites and deliver Israel out of the hand of Midian. Jesus says it this way in the Sermon on the Mount. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. In what ways are you meant to be on a hill and you're hiding in a hole right now? And part of getting started, part of getting to the work, part of stepping out, it's, you got to put yourself out there. 
the hill is the exposed place. The hill is the vulnerable place. And it's always the place. From the place of hiddenness with God, it's always the place that God calls us out to. And the, I know there's a, there's a tension there. You have to, it takes discernment to know, is, does God have you in a place of hiddenness right now? Because the biggest work of your life is actually the growth in character and intimacy and connection with him. But y'all, you can stay in the secret place out of fear and tell yourself that you're just in the secret place with God. And you got to know. I can't tell you. I can't tell you why you're doing what you're doing. You got to be in touch with that. There will be a moment where God calls you out, out onto the waters, onto the edge, onto the wall, onto the hill. One more, um, Ben can come up. I'm just gonna, I love these quotes. I'm gonna give you a couple more quotes. Can I do that? One more quote from Stephen Pressfield. The more scared we are of a work or calling, the more sure we can be that we have to do it. And this one's from Ralph Waldo Emerson. Oh, we don't have it on the screen. Always do what you're afraid to do. I just think that's great. Always, and now, okay, maybe not always, but thought it was powerful. Always do what you're afraid to do, Emerson. Would you stand with me? Jesus, we want to be people who hear your voice. We want to be people who hear your truth, the true words about who you say we are and the the true words about what we're here to do. We want to be people who value and elevate your words to us above the, the script that runs in our head or the words that have been spoken to us or over us by other people who were not speaking with the best intentions. People who were facing their own resistance and didn't know how and so they took it out on us. That's where a lot of the pain and the suffering comes from in the world. Jesus, can we hear your voice, your words? This is who you are. This is what I'm calling you to do in this chapter of your life. Help us to take that truth and to put it into action and put our hands to the work. Help us to armor ourselves with that truth. Give us the steadiness and the sure-footedness of Nehemiah who simply just says, I'm up on a ladder. I'm not coming down. It's too late. It's too late for that. I'm up on a hill. I'm not going under the bowl. I'm up on the threshing floor. I'm not going into the wine press. I'm out here. For the person who feels like they're out in the wind and they feel like they followed you to this place and now they're looking around and they're going, where'd you go? I pray that today you would give that person just the, the simple, intimate little word, little reminder, little assurance. I'm with you. I'm right here with you. Keep going. Don't stop. Don't stop. Don't stop. You're doing a great work. Don't come down. I'm right here with you. Jesus, we love you. We trust you. I ask that you would speak. In Jesus' name, amen.